1: Uh, I wanted to, by way of introduction, uh, my name is Glenn. I serve our community of churches across Canada, the Evangelical Covenant Church of Canada. But not unlike uh, affirming um, Tom's family, uh, I have a family. And I think it's always important for you to see that I'm a dad. And I love being a dad. And that's part of my vocation. And I'm thankful that Ella, my daughter, is here with me this weekend. And our son, Soren and Jonas. And uh, Greta, the very smiley, uh, precocious four-year-old in the front row, and my wife, Becca. Um, and they're a gift to me, and I'm thankful for them. And I actually believe more than anything that, uh, and this is why I should have had your family with you in this moment, that I actually serve and minister and live as a leader out of the overflow and out of the health of my marriage, and out of the overflow uh, and the challenges and the reality of parenting. And so uh, we don't do this in a vacuum. We, this summer, uh, did a crazy road trip. We spanned from uh, Bowen Island off of West Vancouver to Toronto. We drove over 10,000 kilometers, a mixture of family and friends and visiting churches. Uh, and it was fairly intense. And we took this picture. I love this picture uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it does actually capture in some ways the essence of these people's personalities But this was taken in Sarnia, Ontario, which was uh, my first church that I served as lead pastor and a community that deeply shaped me and who I am and how I understand the gospel and what does it look like to be a leader, set apart and called. As I candidated at this church, one of the first questions in the midst of that candidating weekend, someone asked me, are you a cessationalist? And I said to them, why, yes, I think I'm an absolutely sensational pastor. <laughs> and they said, no, a sensationalist. And I was like, well, you're going to have to explain to me what that means before I can tell you whether I am that or not. And they went on, and maybe some of you are familiar with that term, went on to describe that there's a group of followers of Jesus who actually believe that what we read in the pages of Acts, or in, as we come to understand through church history, uh, the early church, that the gifts of the Spirit, that the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, and what we read in the book of Acts, what we read in the early church, that was sort of it. And in some ways at that point, it's not that they don't believe that Jesus will return again, but in some way, if you imagine the Spirit valve, it got turned off, and it ceased to operate in the church today, or at least it's operating in a different way. And not only had I never heard that term before, I just flat out don't believe it. Because I believe that the Spirit of God is present and active at work in the world. As a servant of the gospel, I take seriously when Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, we read it, right? Jesus stands up and he says, The time has come, the kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. And friends, I've been steeped as a pastor, as a leader, as a disciple to believe that what is the good news that Jesus actually came to preach? He came to preach that in His person, in His presence, and in His power, things change. They're redeemed. They're restored. All things are made new. And Jesus came to announce that. In Luke 4, we read again, Jesus stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth. And He reads from the Isaiah scroll. And He talks about prisoners being set free. The blind seeing the sick being healed. And what does he say? In your hearing, this prophecy has come true. And so uh, when Tom and Dana asked if I would preach today, it was with great privilege. It was with great uh, sense of joy, especially once they shared what the passage was, for me to step into this series. The last sermon series that I preached at Uh, sorry, at Lighthouse, was actually preaching through the book of Acts like you're doing uh, as well. And and if I could, this is what I used and this is how I framed our series. And in some ways, it's in many ways similar to what Tom is doing. Can we just acknowledge maybe in in the spirit of that question of cessationalism, that for a lot of us, we sometimes hold scripture and this is what we think. That was then, this is now. Friends, can I just, in a spirit of truth, say that is a lie? Because this is what I believe. Maybe. (laughs) Ah! He who has the clicker got hyper-clicking. Here's the truth. That then is now. What we see and read and experience in the pages of the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, I believe that that is as true and real today as it was then. And so uh, if you have a Bible, if you can open to Acts chapter 2, I'm going to try to get to that slide. Man. We go slow and then we go fast and Glenn clicks too many times. Go one more. There we go. Before we do this, because here's the thing. I like technology and technology is good. But I refuse to have it distract from the truth of what God wants to speak into our lives. And because I do believe that then is now and that the Spirit still speaks, I believe that as we gather together to hear God's word, the Spirit would speak truth. And I want to simply pray, God, living one, who is present and active in our world, would you speak and would you use my ideas and imagination and even my humor to provoke and to create resonance and to create awareness within this beautiful community, your creation of the truth of how it is that you are at work and alive and operating in our world. Amen. And so we read, In Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And and I read this, and in some ways, uh, as a leader in the church, it's like, well, this is a blueprint for what churches do, right? And I had a very simple and superficial reading We we simply read that uh, this passage is about the disciples devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. This is about breaking bread, of eating together. Uh, Just as a side note, I think this is a great biblical and theological basis for great potlucks. The reality and desire to be people of prayer. The, The reminder that in the early church, and I believe here and now, That the spirit moves in a way that we see miracles and and wonder uh, in our midst. The reality that the disciples held everything in common. This is a very provocative statement right in the middle. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet. It's about meeting, coming together on a regular basis. Again, breaking bread in homes, eating together. This I love this phrase, glad, sincere hearts, praising God. Uh, in some ways, honestly, can I just feed back? I've, I was experiencing that as we were um, loving on and celebrating Tom. That in some ways we were expressing our thanksgiving and our gratitude towards God. I, I felt like this was a good uh, warm-up Sunday for next week's Thanksgiving service. And the reality that people see it and they know it when it's happening And they want to be a part of it because it's attractive and it's good. And I see that and I experience that. And I believe uh, that that's the reputation of the Erickson Covenant Church. That in some ways, uh, we could lay this kind of text over this community. But as I read this, there were two particular threads that I wanted to go a little bit deeper on this morning and press into. And I think they're good, but they might be a little bit hard. And so I'd start with this some comments about ownership. And so, like I said, in the middle of that passage, you read that the disciples, as they gathered together, they shared things in common and they began to sell their things to bless people who were in need. Don't um, you ever think about ownership? In some ways, it's a really strange thing. I won't do a 2,000-year Coles Notes on it, But if you think about it, even in a 400-year period, right, you think about European settlers coming to North America and meeting First Nations people. I heard one comedian do a bit on this, and in the midst of talking about ownership, they said, oh, you have no concept or idea about land ownership. Hmm, that could come in handy. We'll pocket that one away for future use the reality that the First Nations people had no concept that somehow the land was theirs to be owned. And yet, fast forward, and I don't know if you've seen any of these stories, but I think it's crazy that we actually fight over, we uh, appeal to courts and legal realities, to trademark and copyright ideas. I grew up in the States and in uh, Big Ten football country. Uh, I have absolutely no love for Ohio State University. But do you know that they filed a petition? How arrogant is this? They filed trademark papers for the article the. Because they refer to themselves as the Ohio State. We could own three letters, T-H-E. They're R's. Can you think about how many times we use the word the In our communication? Well, Ohio State thinks that they have exclusive claims, that they own it. Uh, Subway. Any of you catch Subway? Do you know what Subway tried to, to trademark? Anyone? Footlong. Subway thinks they own measurement. They wanted to trademark Footlong. Uh, LeBron James. Anyone? This, this one's crazy to me. LeBron, anyone know what LeBron's trying to trademark? Taco Tuesday! LeBron does not have exclusive claims. He does not have ownership of Taco Tuesday. Taco, who doesn't love and own and embrace Taco Tuesday? Yeah. No? Not in the Valley? (laughs) I love Taco Tuesday. I mean, in our house, we do Try It Tuesday, but usually Try It Tuesday evolves into Taco Tuesday, because that's how I roll. Um... I had the chance to go, I mean, it's sort of absurd, right? But that's how we think about ownership. That that actually we're at a point in our life together as human beings where the ordering of letters is something that individuals can own and possess. Um, I went to New York a couple years ago for a church planning conference. This one absolutely blew my mind. The church that we met in. Uh, like unbelievable location in Manhattan, a three-story tall building. They were in negotiation. Hundreds of millions of dollars being negotiated for, any of you heard the term, air rights? In major urban centers like Vancouver and Toronto and New York City, landowners are actually negotiating with developers for the air rights. I can own the land above this building. And what they do is they, they sell the rights and a developer comes in and usually what happens is they maintain their three stories of space and a developer comes in and builds a 50-story tall skyscraper and now they inhabit the air rights for that space. It's sort of crazy, right? And yet, maybe not so much. Because when we think about, those are extreme examples, but how about us? When we think about ownership and what we have. Um, I love this, uh, this passage in the Hebrew mentality. And I just want to do a little bit of a side for a moment through some sort of the Hebrew way of thinking and seeing ownership. I mean, think about Psalm 24. The earth is subways and everything no? You guys going to work with me this morning or what? You going to make me work hard? The earth is LeBron. No, the earth is the Lord's. But what did we sing a few minutes ago? This is my Father's world. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas. He established it on the waters. Deep within the Hebrew consciousness is the reality that God owns everything. And we, the jewel of his creation, are called to care for, to receive, to steward, to shepherd it. It's powerful, significant. There's ownership and then there's ownership. You with me? Think about this from Deuteronomy chapter 8. You had to read really fast to get that <laughs> one. And go to Deuteronomy 8. One more back. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. I mean, lurking in the background of this passage that we've read from Acts chapter 2 is this kind of Hebrew thinking. And what does this passage from Deuteronomy suggest? Actually, our very ability, our skills, our creativity, our ability to gain ownership and wealth comes from God. When you own things, do not be confused. Be clear. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything you have is gift. It's in the context of God's broader and bigger ownership that we own things, that we possess. Uh, You saw the pictures of my kids um, I'm glad I'm not sure where Ella went. Maybe she went to Sunday school now. So I can embarrass her without her being in the room. Each one of our kids, usually around the age of four, have gone through what I would call the helpful stage. Any of you experience the helpful stage? Um, it becomes incredibly pronounced when it comes to doing things in the kitchen and helping with cooking. I, I was, as we were with Dana, and with Lily last night, I was like, I bet Lily is going to be very, very helpful to Dana. <laughs> and, and if there were an object in our kitchen that each one of our kids wanted to be oh so helpful with, it was eggs. <laughs> they, they really like to be helpful in cooking with eggs, right? But here's the thing, right? You actually have to teach your kids how to hold an egg. Because what happens if you don't hold an egg well? Hmm. Friends, I think that's a great metaphor. It's a great illustration for how we have to learn about ownership. How we hold things that God gives us. Because quite frankly, at least in my own experience, I won't pretend to know any of yours But there have been times when I have been given things and very quickly realized that far more than me holding them, they were holding me. And there is an underlying message for me within the Hebrew psyche, within the scripture that points to the reality that God in his goodness, he doesn't want to get our stuff. He wants to make sure that our stuff doesn't get us. This is controversial. Uh, the proverb speaks about wealth and generosity and ownership. I don't know. Am I driving this thing or someone? Jack, are you driving it? Cameron sort of. Can we go to, there's a slide with proverbs on it. There we go. Can you just we just let this soak in a little bit? Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Does that resonate with you this morning, church? Proverbs 21, the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without what? Whoa! Whoa! Those who stand in right relationship with God give without sparing. Do you hear that echoing in Acts chapter 2? Proverbs 22, 9. The generous will they themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Jesus stands in, all of the scripture stands in this, this Hebrew tradition called Wisdom which isn't just knowing, but it's knowing and doing. And deeply embedded within the story of the people of God is a commitment and a desire for people to be generous, which obviously comes out in the midst of Acts chapter 2, as the disciples, having heard the message, actually practically begin to live it out. I mean, it just wasn't Peter who a few verses earlier was reminded again of the truth and the power of the good news and it was producing life-changing results in his own life. It was all of the followers of Jesus began to live differently. It's hard. I think it's hard in our culture because lots of people want to talk about being generous. But show me a generous person. It's messy. It's hard. And I, I think this is, this is where the invitation to remind ourselves that in my own strength, in my own might, in my own devices, in my own brokenness, I'm stingy. This is Glenn speaking. I like my stuff. I like my ownership. Makes me feel good. And apart from the grace and the mercy and the generosity and the outpouring and the blessing of God to bring about something new in me, if I had a default, it's this. Hang on, baby. When in the most simplistic terms... Can we not agree when we look across the pages of Scripture that the fundamental posture of God that he longs and desires for his people is this? Open-handedness. It's generosity. I mean, Jesus, um, he riffs on this, next slide, in his own way. Uh, this, uh, the setup to where your treasure is, there shall your heart be off also. Jesus actually, uh, again, deep within the wisdom tradition, the Hebrew people believe fundamentally there's two kinds of eyes. There's good eye and there's bad eye. Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Friends, this is the hard word. I don't know if I as the guest speaker gets to come in and speak this kind of word to a community that I don't live in. But I'll simply ask this. What is the condition of your eye? What is the posture out of which you live with? Have any of you, I think about those times in my life, you know, I a straight confession about my default being stinginess. I'm so aware at a couple poignant moments where I became aware of something that had such power over me, I thought I owned it, but it owned me. And the reality is I had to release it. It was a symptom of bad eye. And I needed to be free from that. Jesus, along with the wisdom tradition, and ultimately Luke, as the writer of the book of Acts, is getting at fundamentally how do we, as followers of Jesus, see the world around us? Do we see it in a spirit of blessing and goodness and gratitude and generosity and deep joy? Or do we see it through the lens of scarcity and keeping and stinginess and mine through the lenses of ownership? I mean, think, think about that moment when, and I, I, don't think, I don't think anyone was consciously this morning thinking to yourself, oh boy, I wish I was the pastor of the Erickson Covenant Church, and in this moment, People were heaping praise on me. But when have you been around someone who, in their need, were receiving blessing? And the whole time that was going on, you were like, Man, I wish I was the person who was being seen. I was being affirmed. I was being encouraged. I can't even hear these phrases and words spoken over Pastor Tom right now because I wish that I'm so hungry and so in need. Friends, hear the good news this morning that our Father in Heaven sees you and knows you and desires to bless you with the same kind of lavish blessing that we extended to Tom. Not because we have to, but because we get to. I mean, Jesus talks about this, but then in Luke 15, I always love this, and maybe uh, I'd be shocked if Tom hasn't ever shared the image of Rembrandt's uh, like portrayal of the prodigal son. I mean, what I'm getting at here is, is older brother, right? And if you've seen that image, older brother stands in the picture as younger brother receives the blessing and the forgiveness and the restoration and the redemption and the grace of father, An older brother stands in the background and in some versions of the image, all you can actually see is his eyes. Right? And there's contempt in his heart. He can't actually acknowledge and be present to the good thing that is going on in that moment. Erickson Covenant Church, can we step back and see the deep need for the affirmation and the blessing and the overflow of God in our lives, in the lives of those that we live with, in the lives of this town and community, in our province, in our country? Can we actually be open-handed in the lavish, unending, reckless love of God, or is it just a nice song? Can we actually begin to embody and live that message out? I don't know. I don't live here, but I just want to say, go. Be those people. Allow the Word to soak in and allow the Spirit of God to do its work of filling and fulfilling. The Spirit has not lost its power, friends, but we are free agents created in the image of God with free will. And if we don't acknowledge and repent of our own brokenness and our desire and our longing for affirmation and blessing for ourselves and somehow think that I have the birthright on that to the point that sometimes I'm so mad at others. (laughs) Slay that dragon. Kill it. I mean, I think I could preach a very religious sermon from Acts chapter 2. Next slide. We could go really churchy. But I actually think that this passage is incredibly practical. This is a nuts and bolts passage for me. What do the people of God do? Yeah, they read scripture. And they allow it to shape their lives. They gather together. They experience the overflow of the Father's love. Oh yeah, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I think we should talk about that. What does that mean in the 21st century? I make no mistake. I do think that the work of interpretation requires us to say context, context. How do we bridge that? Right. I'm not calling Erickson to reconstitute the bountiful community here in the area. I thought that was sort of a joke, but maybe not. (laughs) Landmine, you live here. Some people have gone that way, right? That's how they've read this. I I don't actually know the history of Bountiful. But at some level, I'm guessing that this passage is lurking somewhere behind that. Some sense of communal living, that this is what the people of God do. Can can we not think about it this way? I've seen recently some research that actually acknowledges that the disparity between have and have not, the greater that gap is sociologically in a culture or in a community, there is a, a direct correlation to the lack of health and happiness. So what does it look like to pay attention to the gaps? I know you do. And so I pray blessing and effort and engagement On that. God, yes, at the end of this passage, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can we hear anew that God wants to save the world? And by save, He wants to save. He wants to restore. He wants to redeem every single part of our broken bodies. He wants to save our imagination. He wants to save our mind, 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 get it attitudes. He wants to save us from ourselves. And so again, has the spirit lost its power, Erickson? What? No. Defiantly no. Please no. God no. And, and can I just, I'll wrap up this way. Can I just affirm you with some of the things that I see? Been here less than 12 hours. But but can I tell you how I saw this passage getting lived out in the last 12 hours? So um, I was really thankful. Uh, Dale and Ken invited Ellen, myself, and Dana and her kids and Tom and Tennille over for dinner. And I joked at the time, but when I went back to look at my sermon um, I was joking. I said this a couple times to Dale. I said there is a spirit of hospitality over this home. I felt welcome there. Uh, I mean, if anyone, if you don't have Thanksgiving plans, you should call Dale because <laughs> because apparently she's up for the challenge. And man, it was a good like run-up for Thanksgiving dinner. So good. But there was there was hospitality there. I, I saw. Um, it was uh, their youngest, Maren, right? Uh, Maren's birthday yesterday. I saw nine teenagers. It was a bit of like I'm looking at the movie of my life fast forwarded by six years. I saw nine teenagers parade through their door. And I saw welcome. And I saw embrace. And one of the persons that I saw offering was Tom. Like, you should have seen, I mean, joke, jokes aside about Tom's facial hair, I know this to be consistent. When I see Tom see people, his face lights up. He saw those girls who, I mean, let's just be honest, there are some 40-something male pastors who would see like a mid, you know, teenage girl and they'd be like, <laughs> run away! I saw Tom press in! with a spirit of embrace and welcome and hospitality. I, I think that's this getting lived out. And I'm not pedestaling these people. I'm sure there are expressions in your own lives that you see it. I saw Dana with these two little kids that, uh, man, God bless her for her hospitality and generosity and welcome that she would stand in the gap in those two children's moment of need. Friends, I think that's this passage being lived out. And I just want to stand here and say, it's good. I'm not making any statement beyond that other than it's a good thing. And so we should see it and we should acknowledge it and we should celebrate it. And I do see that family as they welcomed 200,000 teenage girls into their home to spend the night. (laughs) And I know for a fact that every one of those girls felt welcomed in that place. That's not Ken mortgaging the house and giving it away to every teenage girl in Creston. That's Tom. That's, sorry, that's Ken. Doing what he can in that moment to create a place of welcome. And oh, how I long that this church would be known for that too. Can I just uh, share this? Can we go to the slide of Canada? Canada. Um, I want to add, Dana thanked you for the good work that, um, for the reality of generosity here at Creston that continues to sustain and support and fuel ministry here in this place. Uh, but can we just acknowledge, even as, you know, we've been a part of our stories are combined together in this journey of Tom's ordination, we're on mission together. Uh, these are reflections of new life in our community from west to east. Our church plant, City Collective in Langley, uh, Inglewood Commons, which uh, just is two years old. Um, just above them, Cody and Brianna Matchett, our newest Affirm Covenant Church Planners in Toronto. Um, I had a really strange, it's a really uh, interesting experience when you show up uh, to work and there are three very tall South Sudanese men at your office, And uh, uh, but a gift that our Sudanese uh, brothers and sisters from uh, the Covenant Church in Sudan who have immigrated to Canada, they're reforming two communities, one in Calgary, one in London, Ontario. Um, Shannon and Tim Friesen are church planning in Steinbeck, Manitoba. Abundant Life and Counter Covenant Church Zoe are all new covenant churches that within the last uh, several years or the last two, uh, quite literally, in the last month are launching. For their own sake? No. To actually point people to the truth, the power, the goodness of God. Friends, uh, like when you continue to go through the book of Acts will you just acknowledge that we're part of the ongoing dynamic work of God in the world? That as we seek to be faithful, it bears fruit. Uh, Next slide. Beyond that, we're involved all around the world, and some of you are familiar with this, but expressions of love and care uh, in Ecuador and the Congo and Korea and Alaska some of you have faithfully been supporting Colleen Nanachuk, who I got to talk to last week in Argentina. Um, our very significant uh, and very challenging in this season work in Haiti. Uh, friends, if you are drawn to pray, pray for Haiti. Um, it's a country turned upside down. Um, work in Europe. Work in the Middle East and North Africa. Even our farmers get in uh, as they continue to grow crops that bless and bring prosperity around the world. And so I simply want to say this thank you. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the partnership that we have in the gospel. And a reminder uh, that whether we're reading Acts chapter 2 or we're telling stories about how God is at work in our country, I know these two things to be true God's generous. At the heart of God is the desire to give. And I know that he invites his followers, his people, to become more generous to the world as well. And so I simply uh, want to pray for you and for us this morning that we might more fully embody the generosity of our living and loving God. Let's pray. God, in your goodness, pour out your spirit. Where there's weakness, where there's stinginess, where there's lack or scarcity, would you meet us with the truth of who you are and what you do? God, would you remind us of your never-ending, extravagant love that just never runs out? God, you are faithful through and through. Morning by morning, God, might we see new mercy. Father, for this community, I pray that your spirit might dwell richly upon it, that you would renew them day in and day out, week in and week out, to be place and people of blessing and honor and purpose here in the Creston Valley. God, for marriages, for families, God, you know the desire of my heart. I think it echoes yours that marriages and families would be places and spaces that are transformed and being transformed for good, for health, for beauty. And so pull us into that. God, uh, I again just give thanks for Pastor Tom, for Tennille, for Micah, for Ethan, for their presence in this place, for Dana. God, for the leaders of this community Father, out of your abundance, might we be reminded that the heart and the spirit of the evil one is to kill and steal and destroy, but Jesus, you came that we might have life and that we might have it to the full. And so, God, would you pour out something of your abundance on this place in this season, even as they prepare to gather next week around the table and celebrate Thanksgiving? God, might that not just be a social... Um, National cultural holiday might be an opportunity to stop and pause and to experience and to know and acknowledge the, uh, just the abundance of you. And so, God, where there are no words and we need more, provide them and help this community to be true to themselves. Might they continue to mature and help people find and follow you. For your glory, for neighbor's good. And if you believe that, say amen.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged, too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericsoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.